Welcome back to another episode of the Feminist Mormon Housewives podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay, and we are back talking about another story of Mormon polygamy dealing with our series, A Year of Polygamy. If this is your first time listening, I would encourage you to go back to episode one where we start with Fanny Alger. Now, we're going through Joseph Smith's wives right now because that is where the bulk of my old research has been done. Uh, we are going to move in forward in the future, not just with individual stories, but with more histories, if you will, that are a little bit more, some that will be a little bit more broad and some that will be a little bit more in depth. So today we're going to be talking about another wife of Joseph Smith. Today it's Ruth Daggett Vos Sayers Smith, which is quite a name, quite a mouthful, Ruth Daggett Vos Sayers Smith. Say it five times. She was born on February 26, 1808, and she was the third child to Mark and Sally Vos in Massachusetts. Interesting fact about Ruth is her mother, Sally, when Sally got married, she was five months pregnant with her first child. So that's an important and sort of interesting salacious tidbit. Keep in mind what that would have looked like in 19th century America. Now, this could have been perceived as a scandal. Or, since it was Frontier America, a lot of people had a lot of other things to worry about. So, since this was in 1794, when they got married, it's curious, it's a curious thing to think about how that happened. Two dates are given for Ruth's baptism in the church. One from Emmeline Wells, who reported that Ruth was baptized in May of 1832. And the other taken as a more official date from a missionary journal of Brigham Young, where he noted that he baptized her and Miss Francis M. Smith in Boston, on August 14th, 1835. Now, Ruth's history is hardly complete without mentioning her aunt, Polly Vos. Polly Vos is constantly mentioned in her journals. Polly, her aunt Polly would be the only other member of her family to convert and join the church. Polly also had some sort of means because she was constantly giving men of the church money, and we'll see that in some of the stories coming up. In 1836, there was land speculation and and other forms of what were considered extreme materialism that were invading the minds of hearts hearts of the church leaders. Orson F. Whitney records that Mormons were getting so wealth-centered that two apostles, Lyman E. Johnson and John F. Boynton, borrowed, quote, considerable money from Polly Vos and other saints in Boston and the regions about, and then went to New York to enter to the mercantile business by purchasing about $20,000 worth of goods. The loans from Polly Vos and other Mormons were said to have never been repaid. That's a lot of money, $20,000 to never repay. Ruth's brother, Daniel Vos, she was supposed to be devotedly fond of him, was killed on June 15, 1839 in, in Florida during an Indian war with the Seminoles by a chief named Kikuchi. And this story would come up every once in a while and is in a lot of their family histories. Ruth was living in St. Louis, and according to a few lines in the Times and Seasons, on January 23rd, 1841, said, quote, Married in St. Louis, Missouri, January 23rd, by Elder A. P. Rockward, Mr. E. Sayers, to Miss Ruth D. Vos, formerly of Boston, Massachusetts, end quote. So we don't know a lot about her life, but we do know that she was married to Edward Sayers. 
who was a well-known 39-year-old horticulturist and florist from England. Some records show that he he had converted to Mormonism, but it is generally believed that he did not convert to Mormonism. A lot of the records are that say that he that he did are mostly just anecdotes, but a lot of the histories that they have show that that Edward never converted to Mormonism. He was in Boston or Cambridge by 18, April 1838 when he published the American Flower Garden Companion, adapted for the Northern States. And the same year, he published another thing, a treatise on the culture of the dahlia and cactus. Now, the reason why I'm bringing this up is to show you how prominent he was. The poet, the great poet Edgar Allan Poe, raved about both Sayers' garden companions in the September 1839 issue of Burton's Gentleman's Magazine. The Fall of the House of the Usher also appeared in the first time in the same issue, so it's kind of cool. And Poe wrote the reviews on that. Again, the Times and Seasons reported on January 15, 1842, about Edward and his residence, quote, The subscriber, having fixed his residence at Nauvoo, begs leave to inform the citizens in the surrounding neighborhood that he intends to devote his time to the various branches of horticulture, pruning trees, laying out gardens, grafting, inoculating of trees, etc. Those who are desirous to have their young orchards pruned, and there are many in much need with the bounds of the city, will be attended to on accommodating terms by applying to the undersigned when every information will be given. Edward Sayers, gardener, end quote. So we know that they felt lucky to have him. He was there. He was helping he was helping people with their planting and, and with their orchards. Ruth and Edward Sayers ended up in Nauvoo sometime in 1841 and moved to a farm just north of the city. Ruth would join the Female Relief Society on April 14th, 1842. So this springtime, a lot is happening. We know March 17th is the birthday of the Relief Society. We also know that March and April and May, things just are crazy for them. They're doing a lot. They're meeting a lot. So Ruth would have joined right after, a month later in April. Joseph Smith was busy as well. He was embroiled in his own sort of legal battles and by August of 1842 would be arrested again, but was soon, soon escaped and went into hiding. William Clayton, who was Joseph Smith's clerk and personal secretary, recorded on May 18th that Joseph Smith and his men, quote, they then proceeded through the timber to Brother Sayer's house where they were very kindly received and made welcome. Joseph would write, quote, dined at Brother Benbow's, visited Brother Sayers and company, end quote. So we do know that, um, that Edward and Ruth hid Joseph Smith in their home several times. William Clayton would also write, quote, we soon arrived at Brother Sayers and was pleased to find President Joseph in good spirits, although somewhat sick, end quote. So Joseph would come, he would hide where they were at, they would keep him company and take care of him when he was sick. For whatever reason or circumstances, we do know that by February 1843, Ruth would marry Joseph Smith in a secret ceremony. So this is a pattern. Joseph was in close proximity with her. He was spending a lot of hours. She was caring for him. And that would have been in May and sometimes later on in August. And by February of the next year, they were married. We also know that she continued to live with Edward, even though she was married to Joseph Smith. We don't know if Edward knew of the marriage or not. Now, there's some speculation that he did know because he was friendly with Joseph Smith, but there's also some speculation that he didn't know because that was also a pattern that happened with some of 
the wife of Joseph Smith. You know, Mormon historian Andrew Jensen had listed her as a wife of Joseph Smith, but stated erroneously that she was married to Sayers after the death of the prophet. And according to the genealogical archives in Salt Lake City, she married Edward Sayers in St. Louis on January 23rd, 1841. And when Joseph went in, into hiding on August 10th, 1842, he lived several weeks at their home. And it seems that that is when they got married. So it is generally considered, and according to her affidavit later on, she would say that she was married during that time. Ruth would be visiting her favorite Aunt Polly in Boston when Joseph was killed in Carthage in June of 1844. Ruth was informed of the death through a letter that her husband Edward had written her. And I don't know if you remember this, but from the Nauvoo episode, when Joseph was killed, a lot of his apostles were out on missions. Heber C. Kimball, Wilford Woodruff, and Brigham Young were out on missions, and they were near Aunt Polly's home when they heard of the news. So they went and visited these Mormon women. Wilford Woodruff wrote on July 16th, quote, I called upon Sister Polly Vos, 57 Temple Street, saw Sister Ruth Sayers, who was with her, she also received a letter from her husband this date, Nauvoo, June 30th, and still confirmed the death and of Joseph and Hiram Smith, end quote. Heber C. Kimball recorded in his journal on July 22nd, 1844, quote, 22nd, Monday morning, went to see Polly Vos. I wrote a line to Sister Annie Simpson by Sister Ruth Sears. The Lord bless her. Woodruff called upon Sister Vos on October 13th, 1844, and she gave him $10 and other sisters $5 to help me on my mission, end quote. We also have a record of a letter Ruth wrote to her good friend, Augusta Adams Cobb, who was then at Winter Quarters. Now, when I first read this letter, I thought it was super intimate. Like, I was like, huh, this is really interesting. They seem very familiar. I'm going to read the text of the letter in a minute. And Augusta Adams Cobb would be married to, to Brigham Young later on, and... She has a fascinating story. So I so I asked her biographer about it, Colonel O'Donovan, and I asked him what he thought because I said, you know, in Ruth's history, this Augusta Adams Cobb keeps coming up and it just seems like they're super intimate. And he related to me that they have a long history. You know, Augusta was married to Brigham Young and would be at the time of the letter that I'm going to read. And they had known each other by this point for 20 years they were both, quote, big guns in the Boston branch, which from 1832 to 1842 had been primarily run almost as a matriarchal sort of church with virtually no male leadership. So both Ruth and Augusta were two very early converts. They were both uh, members of the church in 1832, and they were both upper middle class women, which had profound societal impacts at the time. And Ruth had been a plural wife of Joseph Smith and Augusta would be a current one. So their their closeness, their friendship, their affection for one another was absolutely cemented. But when I read it I was like, wow, she's saying that she she's saying she doesn't know if she's worthy of her or if she can even um live up to her expectations and I'm and I'm thinking this is really wild, but O'Donovan says that compared to other Victorian letters at the time this was pretty tepid and business like. And so I'm going to read the letter to you, and I, I would like you to remember the name Augusta Cobb because it's going to come up again when we talk about Brigham Young's wife. She's an interesting character, and she has a fascinating story. The letter says, this is Ruth written to Augusta Cobb in Winter Quarters, August 20th, 1847. I have not, my dear lady, heard one word from you since I saw you. I have constantly hoped to. To begin with your affairs, which you perhaps would like to know of... Mr. C. and Mr. Dame came to and fro, threatening me if I did not tell them where you were. 
I did not know Mr. C came a day or two ago and wished me to go with him to the lawyers to have the case given up on your part. Then he said he could get a private divorce and I should have the money refunded. I told him it was part of my religion to mind my own business, and when you authorized me, it would be time enough for me to act. But then, said I, should be taken before the authorities. I said I would wait on him or them in any legal affair. He gave one of those awful laughs, saying I was the best seller he had ever seen and left in a rage. He has forbidden me in his house. I go now and then, but they do not care to see. I have been them... I've been to them. The girls know they can write or send you any parcel. I saw Lucy this day, but they do not desire to write. They are situated as you left them. Your daughter, Ellen, is engaged to Mr. Gardner, now at Harvard, who will be a physician and marry in three years. Mr. C. does not approve because there is no money. Mr. C. has someone in mind and attendance. They all look as healthy as possible. Your dear little boy, James, steals to see me now and then. It will be perfectly any day I know where and to whom he goes to ask and can get access any hour, only bid me. I have felt very desolate since you left, have had one incessant prayer, to be had in remembrance of the authorities of the church, and in blank to be delivered, and will keep on praying until God answers. Condescend to write to me, you are ever in my mind, but I know there is no reason why you should feel after me, and thus I keep on hoping against hope. Please accept this parasol in lieu of yours which I sent you. But having kept, since kept it here, the gloves were worn by, by a pure one. I hope, dear lady, to bring you up something more worth your acceptance. W.W. Phelps has been with us for several days, but I have not had a cram until today. Oh, how I long for a nurse again. Am I to ever have a mother? Aunt Polly Vos is the same as you left her. Will never come until she is bidden. Please tell me if the white robe will be of any use to you in the dear little apron you took from Boston. I have... Each day thought of writing to you since Brother Phelps came, but felt diffident until the last minute, tenish, and he leaves tomorrow morn, therefore please excuse. Send to Brother Badlam, and you need not fear any trouble. Also write what we want, and I will make every effort to accomplish Sister Aldrich as well. Had a letter a few days ago from her daughter, has a son, Joseph. I have your Lord in my possession as yet. Mr. A has only visited Boston once since you are here. He at that time was at Cambridge, and no opportunity had offered to send it. I will close by saying I think and feel for the royal ones with you are, but feel myself of too little consequence to name them. I hope you are happy. Also, your dear child, Charlotte, please give her the pencil and tell her I have several books for her, but await at this time to send them. Expect to send all my things to Mr. Everett when he goes again. He will be home in September and goes again with Mrs. Everett. I have dreamed of you only once. And that singular one, goodbye, elect lady, love to Charlotte, Ruth. Now, there's some interesting things in this letter. One of them is, you notice that Ruth says she, it's part of her religion to mind her own business. That is actually something that they say, I think, uh, I think it was Damon Smith wrote about this in his dissertation about post-manifesto polygamy, that it became a real part of Mormon culture and Mormon identity, the phrase, mind your own business, mind your business. That was really part of the polygamous culture. It kept people quiet. It was something that uh, Mormons started really drilling into the heads of their children to mind their business. Another thing that you'll notice in the letter is Ruth is talking to Augusta about divorce, about a Mr. C. Now, Mr. C would be married to... Augusta, C standing for Cobbs, Henry Cobb in particular, which was her husband at the time. So it's said that when Augusta 
was baptized, she was acquainted with Cochranism. And the Cochranites um, were polygamists at the time, and she was familiar with the doctrines of the polygamist Cochranites when she had met Brigham Young. She, Augusta was educated, well-known from a well-known Boston family, and living in luxury with Henry Cobb for at least 21 years. And according to her great-granddaughter, Mary Cable, Augusta and Henry were the parents of seven children— and by 1843, Augusta had deserted her husband and all of her children but the two younger ones. And again, we'll go into all of that later. So you hear Ruth telling her about some of those older ones. Uh, the two younger ones she took with her was Charlotte and Brigham, who was only a few months old. And she went with Brigham Young to Nauvoo to become his plural wife. And while on the journey to Nauvoo, the infant Brigham became ill and died in Cincinnati, Ohio. And they said, you know, she put it in a tin box and took it with her. The Nauvoo neighbor on November 8, 1843, announced the death of Brigham Cobb, aged five months and 20 days. And by this time, Brigham Young and Augusta were secretly married. So she's still married to Henry, and he was already a polygamist by the time he married Augusta. So we'll talk about all of that later on. But he married Augusta on November 2nd, 1843. So the letter I read... I read was in 1847. Um, Henry Cobb would sue Augusta for a divorce. Um, And so this action and her polygamous marriage to Brigham received nationwide publicity through the newspapers. So again, that is what Ruth is referring to. It's, it's a huge deal. And it seems that Ruth was having interactions because, you know, Augusta had gone with Brigham Young and Ruth was still back having these interactions with Henry Cobb. So that's part of that's part of that letter. Another interesting thing, let's go back to Ruth and her marriage. Ruth and Edward would go go west with the saints even though, you know, we know Edward never converts. It is said that there's an interesting anecdote written in Council Bluffs, Iowa by William I. Appleby, who was a missionary freshly from Boston. And he records this incident in his journal on July 31st, 1849. Quote, A driver or teamster of one of Mr. Sayers, which is Edward Sayers, got into a dispute with Mrs. S., Mr. S. being absent, in regard to driving the team. He called her by some base, vile epithets when she retaliated by using a whip on him. He then struck her and blackened one of her eyes. He was left to he was left to the care of the officers at the camp to deal with him for the same, end quote. So you'll notice they're coming west, and some woman, Mrs. S., gets in an argument with Edward Sayers, Ruth's husband, over how to drive the oxen team. He calls her a bunch of names. She gets the whip out on him, and he blackens her eye. So it's quite violent. Um, we know that he continued to live with Ruth, in the 12th Ward by 1850, and he continued gardening and running a seed business, and he would die in 1861. But there's some interesting things that happen. Before August 17th of 1850, Augusta Adams Smith Young, Augusta Adams Cobb, Harriet E. Russell, and Ruth D. Voice Sayer Smith petitioned Brigham Young in the name of Joseph quote, in the name of Joseph, to go on a mission to the States or somewhere else because they were so, quote, so heartily tired and sick of our dear, our dear companions, meaning their deadbeat polygamous husbands, that we can hardly live unless we arise and shake ourselves from the dust, end quote. 
Apparently, they also wanted to get new fashionable clothes, and they requested to go in a Massa Lyman's gold company that went to Sacramento to find gold and receive tithing from the LDS gold miners there. They said, quote, We do not dread cholera or anything so much as, as cold, heartless husbands. All else seems as nothing, but this has become intolerable. It's really interesting that these three women, now two best friends, Augusta Cobb and Ruth, want to divorce their husbands. Ruth's history is filled with a curious entry from a blessing from Wilford Woodruff in September of 1856. It describes where it's described as she was going on a mission. So women did not typically serve missions at the time, so it's not really understood what that means. It's interesting to compare it to the request to go on a mission. We do know that shortly thereafter, Ruth travels east with Parley P. Pratt and his family. And now now that's such an interesting story. Interesting story. If you learn anything about Parley P. Pratt, he was murdered due to polygamy, basically. So that's a story we're going to talk about later on. Um, but she went with them and continued on to Boston where she met up with her dear Aunt Polly and the two journeyed back to Utah, arriving on June 23rd, 1857 in company with Elder, Elder Fairmuller's Little, who was Brigham Young's nephew and business partner, as well as Ephraim Hanks, who was bringing in the Eastern Mail. Little and his two female companions apparently traveled in a fast, comfortable wagon and they passed John Y. Green's company, then a handcart company, and later Colonel Samner and his baggage train, and they reported that they they had encountered no American Indians en route. Uh, so Polly is now in Salt Lake City, and she was sealed to Joseph Smith post-mortem on March 28, 1858. So Polly was actually sealed to Joseph as a wife later on, but and this perhaps is where Andrew Jensen got his idea that Ruth was also sealed after Joseph died. After Joseph died. But uh, this made Ruth and Aunt Polly eternal sister wives. Aunt Polly would die on December 9th, 1866, and was buried in the same day in the Salt Lake City Cemetery. Ruth became very ill in June of 1884, and she died on August 18th, 1884, a member of the Salt Lake 12th Ward. Her obituary is as follows, and this comes from the Desert News, August 20th, 1884, on page 16. Sayers, in Salt Lake City, August 18th, after a lingering illness of 10 weeks duration, Ruth Daggett Sayers, born... February 26, 1808. At Waterton, three miles of the city of Boston, she was baptized in the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints in the month of May 1832. Consequently, she was among the eldest members of the church at 92. Very few are now living who were baptized at that early date, and now she has gone to meet the large number of old and tired friends beyond the veil. During the building of the Kirtland Temple, although then residing in Boston, she donated every dollar that she earned, except that she needed for her bait support towards its erection, which aggregated several hundred dollars. Her liberality in this direction, as well as in many others of an equally laudable character, has been proverbial up to the time of her death, end quote. And she was also a very similar um, tribute was given to her in the exponent, the early release sightings magazine, the women's exponent in September 15th of 1884. They talked about her and her aunt doing upholstery business in Boston and giving money and helping the elders of the church travel. And they talked about her husband ever becoming a member of the church. And they talked about her brother who was killed by an Indian. So those are some of the things we knew, know about her. So I hope you enjoyed this story of her and continue to support the Feminist Mormon House Size podcast and the year of polygamy. Thanks for listening. <laughs>